us so gratefully to you for your presence, Lord. We pray that you would bless us and minister to us. And Father, as we would come to your word this morning, we pray for that spirit of wisdom and of revelation. We pray that, Lord, your word is a living word, that you would make it live within us. Lord, we are but mortal vessels, mortal man, Lord. There's no, so little that we can do. But as we lift up your word and as we think about the precepts and the concepts that are found within the scriptures, I pray that there would be an impartation of your spirit this morning, that we would continue to move deeper into the anointing, deeper into your presence. And so, Lord, we ask for the blessing of the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to be our portion this morning that you would be the one that would receive all the glory, all the honor, and all the worship in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Gee, I could just, just stay there all day. Just carried on all day and it was just really wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Praise God. I just, as I was praying, and just I just feel that this is a season where God's looking at us and, and and wanting to, to minister to us and preparing us. And he's developing the spiritual man. Uh, God is always at work in us. Can you say amen? amen. And that's the wonderful truth that as we come into uh, his presence and we, we give our lives to the Lord. From that moment on we can be confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Son of Christ. And so God's always at work within us. And so I just want to give a very brief recap of what we, we looked at um, uh, last week and then carry on to develop that. We looked at Colossians 3.10 which says, And having put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The better we get to know Christ, the more we are transformed, the more we are changed, the more we grow in God. And so just drawing close uh, into the presence of the Lord uh, as we've done this morning. You know, we can sing songs where we can come into the glory. We can come into the presence. And so the more, more time we spend in God's presence, we are renewed. And that, that Greek word renewed is anakainoo. And anakainoo means to be uh, renovated. Uh, we've all done that. We've all renovated houses and, and what have you. Or to renew. And it comes from the, the Greek word kainos. And kainos means freshness. Or to sparkle or brilliant. They are similar to, to sparkle or to be brilliant. And we looked at how being in God's glory and in His divine presence, we actually are changed and transformed into His glory. We are renovated, we are invigorated, and there's a freshness that comes into our life. You know, we shouldn't be getting stale in our walk with God. If we're coming into the glory, if we're seeking the glory, if you're not satisfied with where you are, call out to God, say, I want to come deeper into your presence, deeper into your glory, and the freshness and brilliance will take place. And we saw that, uh, that the spiritual man loves God and loves others. Can you say amen? amen. And we looked at John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that, that Greek word love is uh, agapeo. Uh, it means an intense love. So God is loving us intensely. He's loving us with all His heart. It means extreme desire. And that's the picture that God has of you. He's passionately in love with you. He intensely seeks after your presence. And, and He pursues you with all His heart. 
and uh, you're precious. God would do anything for you. And the root of that, that word agapeo is twofold. Again, meaning much, or uh, the, the alternative rending is agog, meaning to breathe. And so we put it all together, we, we begin to understand that much breathing or heavy breathing, God is so in love with us that He is desperately uh, pursuing us. He's intensely, strenuously following after us, giving chase so that we might not fall into sin. God loves us that much. Isn't that wonderful? It's a picture of God pursuing us and keeping us from sin. It really is as we begin to understand that God loves us without limits. And sometimes we feel we're unworthy of this amazing love. You know, that this uh, this week, um, I... Okay, your husbands will be able to identify. Uh, I blew it yesterday. Really badly. I... I I'll be gracious to myself. I won't tell you what I did, but I really meant. And you know, my love, my wife's love is just so special. I I have a gem from heaven. I, oh, I just thank God. Absolutely, she has to be. She's living with me. <laughs> you know, and I, I I'm just so grateful to you, sweetheart, because you showed me the love of God. You you you've not you've not only taught it to me, you practiced it for the last. 40 years in our marriage, and I'm so grateful. But you know, this this is the this is the the agapeo, the love without limits. You know, you mess up, God still loves you. You know, and that's the beautiful picture that God loves us without limits and without boundaries. Um, God has an endless, unconditional, all-consuming love for you. And you know, I don't think you can meditate too deeply on that. I've been meditating on that for, for many, many years now, and I, I still am touched by the unconditional love with, that God has for me, especially when I blow it. Amen? <laughs> to know that God still loves me even when I make mistakes is incredible. Then we looked at the spiritual man separated from the things of the world, and we looked at 1 John 2.15, and we said, you're either going to love and please God, or you're going to love and please man. But the spiritual man has to die to himself and when we die to ourselves, we actually discover this new life, uh, the life of the Spirit. That's what God gives to us. And it's a rich, exciting, and rewarding life. Can you say amen? amen? It's the supernatural life that Jesus talked about, the abundant life, a life of the miraculous. When we die to ourselves, we don't like doing that, and so we often don't experience the abundant life. But when we do... It's available to us. And so we can experience this life of miracles. The third thing that we looked at uh, last Sunday was that uh, the spiritual man is a man of the scriptures. He lives and dies by the word of God. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So we looked at the Bereans. And when Paul came and, and, and preached Christ to the Bereans, they checked out everything he said uh, by the scriptures to see that if it was so. And we are living in a day and an age where that is exactly what every believer needs to be doing uh, with whatever comes from the pulpit. Don't take it uh, from from uh, the pulpit just because a man has a dog collar or because he stands on a platform. Check it out by the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Today I want to consider the spiritual man as a man of prayer. And I briefly want to look at the life of Daniel and, and see uh, 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 how... A great a man this was. The Bible talks about Daniel as a man with an excellent spirit. 
Uh, you know, that, that's quite a, a statement to make, you know, especially in, in the, the corridors of Scripture to talk about a man with an excellent spirit. Uh, and, you know, De- uh, Daniel was a captive, a, a kind of slave of sorts, and he served under multiple kings. But each time, like cream, Daniel managed to rise to the top. Under each successive administration, Daniel was promoted to a place of honor and glory. He was considered one of the wise men of Babylon. He was a statesman and a leader. He, he was a, really a diplomat. Uh, he knew how to conduct himself wisely. And uh, above all, Daniel was a devoted servant of God. Can you say amen? amen. A devoted A man who would not compromise his beliefs and, uh, or his service to God. He knew what God required of him, and Daniel was going to fulfill that no matter what. And that, that is an absolutely amazing thing about it. Do you remember when, when he was first taken into Babylon, they gave him, uh, they offered him the king's food from the table, um, but it wasn't really kosher for them as Jews. And so Daniel actually managed to uh, diplomatically come to a workaround where uh, he was able to, to honor the Lord and, and not defile himself with the king's food. He found a polite uh, and easy workaround through this. And as a result of, of Daniel's life uh, and devotion to God, God blessed him exceedingly. You know, God wants to bless His people. Amen? Amen. God's heart is really to, to pour out His Spirit upon each and every one to really bless us. And so every time uh, Daniel was elevated to these places of prominence, and as a result of that, some of the Babylonians were jealous. And they, they, they were jealous about the success and favor that God brought Daniel. And so they, they sought to, to bring him down and they examined his life. And this is what I love about Daniel. They examined his life and explored his life looking for something to take this man down. And they could find nothing. Does that reflect your life? If your enemies came along to examine, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really disqualified. <laughs> but you know, that really, if God looks at us, uh, Why enemies look at us, and would they find something to, to bring us down? They couldn't find anything in the life of Daniel. He led a life of excellence. And so they realized the only way that they were going to uh, uh, get rid of Daniel was to set a trap for him regarding his relationship with the Lord. And you remember how these brood of vipers, these snakes, came up with, it with, with a, an agreement that they asked the king to sign, that if the king would sign it, that the king was the only man in the entire kingdom was able to seek God. Anybody else would be put to death. What a dumb, dumb, blooming proposal. Uh, and, and yet the, the king, uh, according to the Medes and the Persians, their, their law was, if you pass that law, then that, that was unable to be changed. And... Uh, so we, we find that you know it, it really was uh, an incredible thing. And I want to read that, that particular uh, passage of Scripture to you uh, because it's quite significant, the wording. And think about if this was uh, your life and if you were in Daniel's place. Listen to what Daniel did. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, so 8 through 10, I think you call it. Daniel 6, 8 through 10 says this, now, O king, these are the, these are the brutal vipers that come to the king. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be changed not according to the law of the means of Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, listen to verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, 
he went to his house, the windows being open in his chamber towards Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed, giving thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Under the penalty of death, this man says, I will not compromise. My prayer life is important to me. I am going to seek God. And he goes to the open windows in front of everyone. And he says, I'm praying. He kneels down. There's no mistaking what Daniel's doing. And they did. Three times a day. He, he, I admire such courage. Doesn't Daniel inspire you? Wouldn't you like to be like Daniel? God, give us that Daniel heart. Give us that same kind of courage and strength. I believe that the church... And the end times needs to be a church of Daniels. Men and women who have that same kind of courage and tenacity who will not compromise even under the penalty of death. Can you say amen? I believe it to be true. And so Daniel is to be admired because he did this not once but three times a day. He knew they were going to find him out. But he said, my prayer life is important. You see, Daniel understood the importance of prayer. He understood it was the source of his wisdom. He understood it was the foundation of his character, the essence of his relationship with God. Prayer undergirded every aspect of Daniel's life. He always prayed, even when it was forbidden, even when it was outlawed, even under the penalty of death. That is so admirable. No wonder God exalted this man. No wonder God blessed this man. I pray that each and every one of us would have in our heart a desire to honor the Lord, even in, in such a way that God would strengthen us, that we would be able to withstand society's blights and challenges in a way that is uncompromising and glorifying to the Lord. Amen? You see, prayer was one of Daniel's priorities, and that's why he was such a deeply spiritual man. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. And he said this, No man is greater than his prayer life. Man, what a gem. No man is greater than his prayer. You know, you can do this thing in the natural. You can perform in the natural. You can do what you, you, you're doing. And, 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 and it can be good. But you know, when, when the anointing, when you've prayed about it, and you've asked God's presence to come and fill this place, there is a, a divine touch of something supernatural that empowers what, what is taking place. And so it becomes really important that we become people of prayer and pray about everything that we do for the Lord. Let prayer undergird every aspect of our life. Mary Queen of Scots said, I fear John Knox's men more than an army of 10,000 people. Why? Because she knew John Knox had, a, a, had an audience with the king. He knew that John Knox spoke to God. And she was afraid of that. You see, when we move in the anointing, when we move in prayer and, and saturate everything we do in prayer, we can start moving in a different kind of realm. Can you say amen? Prayer brings us into the realm of glory. Prayer brings us into the very presence and the anointing of God. You see, the spiritual man understands that prayer is our lifeline, our connection with the Almighty. How well are you connected today? How's your prayer life going today? No man is greater than his prayer life. The spiritual man sees prayer as a priority. God in us still wants to communicate with the Father through us. God in us 
still wants to communicate with the Father through us. In other words, I believe that the, the power of the Holy Spirit is there prompting and urging us. And if we weren't so dull and so filled with the things of the world, we would sense the Holy Spirit urging us to pray more. Can you say amen? And I believe that we need to be a people of prayer that honor the Lord. You know, prayer will affect absolutely everything in our lives. The only thing that lie outside the reach of prayer are those things that lie outside the will of God. I love that. That's saying you can pray about anything according to the will of God and God will do it. The only things that lie outside the reach of prayer are those things that lie outside the will of God. That was Dr. Adrian Rogers. I love that. I think it's such a powerful truth and we need to embrace it. If you want answers to your prayers, powerful prayers, dynamic prayers, God gave us instructions. God has given us a pattern for powerful prayer. Mountain-moving prayer. Uh, anointed prayer. Yoke-breaking, mountain-moving, prison-busting prayer. And it's found in the, in, in the scripture that we know so well has become so familiar to us that we kind of miss the whole point. Because, yes, oh yes, I've heard that. Has that ever happened to you? You, you know, you, now, listen to it. This is, the, this is how God says you will enjoy a dynamic, powerful, and mountain-moving prayer life. And it's found, again, you've heard it before, Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. You know, that verse is a message in itself. It's a four-point message. Listen to it. If, if humility, prayer, pursuit, and purity equals power. That's what it's saying. You know, humility, prayer, pursuit, and purity equals power. Let me say something. If, you, if we address all these issues, we, we're going to have powerful prayer life. Do you know this revival that started, the, the, uh, the Ashbury revival, do you know how it started? One guy at a prayer meeting got up and started to confess his sins. He said, I'm a wretched man. I don't want to be like this anymore. I want God to change me. And suddenly the presence of the Lord came in because this man was humbling himself before those of the prayer meeting. And he was crying out to God and said, God, I'm a wretched man. Please change me. And the Spirit of God came into that place because of that humility, because of that, that, that sincere repenting of, the, of, of their sin. And the, the revival has gone on for two years. I, I don't know if you've heard that, that they've closed down the revival. Um, but how many know God can't be stopped? Because the revival just gone and broken out all over the, all over the states, and Texas and Wyoming and, and you name it. There, there are campuses now on fire for God. God is spreading it out throughout the nations. In fact, there are places in Europe uh, that, that are experiencing the same spirit of revival because somebody went to Ashbury and brought it back. And I believe that God's heart is to revive the church in these last days. I want to be a part of that revival. I long and I crave the presence of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's all I look for. And if we cry out, I believe God will do it. Sorry? The, the president of the, of the college, the university. The, the problem was that, the, that Ashbury, and I don't want to get too involved, but Ashbury had three times the population 
uh, coming in. There wasn't a place to stay. You couldn't park. You couldn't get food. The, the whole community were getting upset because of the revival because people were coming in all over. So, so God's just spreading it all out over the world. We've got to be a part of that revival. Can you say amen? amen. We've got to pray and ask God, humble ourselves. And he, he humbled himself. He cried out and he repented publicly. So if we will address these issues of humility, prayer, the pursuit of God, purity, God will release His power. You say that's simplistic. I believe it because it's in the Word of God. I believe that that's the truth of Scripture. When we live up to our obligation, how many know God is faithful? And God is watching over His Word, waiting to perform. If we do this, if we truly humble ourselves, you know, so often we say, oh, God, I'm sorry, okay? I've humbled myself and we'll move on to the next point. No, take time. Really consider your life. Really cons- take time. Work through these four, uh, four different issues here and God's power will be revealed. It says, when we pray like that, God will heal the land. That word heal is the Hebrew word refah. And refah means to, to fix, to repair, or to mend. How many you think that our nation could do with some repair and, and mending? And, you know, I think so. And he says, I will repair, I will heal their land, refer, to fix, mend, or repair. What is that? That is the promise of restoration. That is the promise of restoration. Oh, let me say it again. That's the promise of restoration. God is going to restore the land when we start to pray properly, when we really and truly look at our lives and realize how we are, uh, are impinging upon God's grace. But when we come to that place of realization, when we humble ourselves and start to repent and to pray, not just an error prayer, oh God, please save us, please send revival, but really begin to pray and pursue God with all our heart and walk in purity and holiness. Then the power will come. God says, I will refer, I will heal the land. It's the promise of restoration. Listen, the restoration of the land doesn't lie with the captains of industry or the, the, the political elite. It lies in the hands of God's people. Can you say amen? It lies right here under the anointing of God. This is what the Lord says. God is waiting for us to pray properly. He's waiting for true humility, for true repentance, for true purity, for a true pursuit of God. And He says, I will reform, I will heal, I will restore your land. See, I think it goes even beyond it. God will heal our land, but also He'll heal our families, our finances, our marriage relationships, our bodies, when we start to really and truly pray like this. How many will admit that, that I, I like miracles on the cheap? Is there anybody else here? You know, just, just, give, just give it to me quickly, Lord. Miracles on the cheap. But you know, that doesn't produce it. Nine times out of ten, that doesn't produce it. The other nine times, we've got to start to really seek God. Okay, moving on because we've got a lot to get through this morning. But I, I hope you get the point, the point. God will heal our land, our families, our finances, our marriages, and our bodies when we start to pray for God. I want to close this particular point. Uh, sorry to, if you got excited and thought I was finishing. It's just this particular point. Uh, of how prayer can affect one's life. A, a man by the, this is a true story, a man by the name of George McCluskey, 
uh, started his family and he decided that he was going to pray one hour every day because he wanted his children to follow Christ. How many of you desire that? Okay. Oh, uh, we praying for our children. This, I hope you're being encouraged by the story. Then he decided that he would expand his prayers to include uh, uh, his, his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He thought, I'm going to pray for the next three generations. Every hour, I'm going to pray, every, uh, uh, pray one hour every day for, for th- the next three generations. You know, in the passage of times that the years went by, two daughters of George's committed their lives to Christ. They weren't serving God when he started to pray, but they committed their lives to Him. And they married two men who went into the ministry. I think that George was pretty excited about that. Amen. So George's uh, two daughters uh, uh, produced two girls and a boy. Between the two families, they had two girls and a boy. Each of the girls married a minister of the gospel. This is becoming like a family business now. (laughs) One of the, 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 the remaining boy went into the ministry became a pastor. How can you can see that God is answering George's prayers? You know? So, uh, the, the third generation, uh, were, were two boys, uh, when they finished uh, secondary school, the two cousins uh, chose the same college and actually became roommates. In that particular scenario, uh, in the second year, one of the, the guys decided, surprise, surprise, he wanted to go into the ministry. And so he, he changed his studies and he went. But there was one that was stubborn and a little bit, um, a little bit maybe like you and I. Uh, he wanted to do his own thing and he wanted to, to study psychology. And so he studied, uh, studied, he earned his doctorate in psychology and he wrote books for parents. Incidentally, those books became a, a, a bestseller. And in the course of time, uh, he... Uh, um, decided that uh, as a result of that he wanted to start a radio program and it, it was just a little radio program uh, that ended up going around the world and uh, today each day you can hear his radio program the man's name Dr. James Dobson and the ministry focused on the family you see that was a direct answer to somebody who really began to seek God Folks, I cannot impress uh, uh, upon, upon each and every one of If we will truly get on our knees and seek God with everything within us. God is faithful. He's watching over His Word, waiting to perform it. Yes, amen. amen. George Miller kept a diary. He had 25,000 answered documented prayers. Hallelujah. Some were quite fantastic. Man. That should say to you that prayer can change things. My mentor, Gordon Lindsay, who, who was founder of the, 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 uh, the Voice of Healing ministry in America and, and part of the revival in the 1940s and just afterwards, um, was an incredibly wonderful man of God. Uh, he had, the, he had the, this innate gift that he could take something incredibly complicated and break it down and explain it to you so simply. You know, he made the most complex thing as simple as can be. I, I would read the commentaries when I, was, when I was in seminary, and I wouldn't know what on earth they were talking about. It was a mystery. And then I'd go and read what Gordon and Lindsay had said about it. Oh, is that what they're saying? Is that all that's, that's about? Then I would go back to the commentaries, and because I understood what Gordon and Lindsay said, I could understand the commentaries. He had this beautiful gift of 
being able to communicate. And I believe one of the reasons that he had this anointed ministry was that he, this was one of his favorite things. He said, before we can prevail with man, you have to prevail with God. Before you can do anything extraordinary in this world, you've got to touch the throne of God. Amen. And God's anointing will break every yoke and fetter. It'll, it, the Word of God will be like a hammer breaking down every wall of opposition. When we learn to pray, hallelujah. Oh, man. Before we can prevail with men, we must prevail with God. An unknown poet wrote, I got up early this morning and rushed into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. Troubles tumble about me, and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me? I wondered. He answered, because you didn't ask. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. The spiritual man is a man of prayer. The second point is the spiritual man is an encourager. Amen? Amen. If we're going to be like Jesus, we need to encourage people. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, amen. We need to encourage people. So, okay. Everybody needs encouragement. It's so easy to criticize and run down people who haven't carried the load. It's easy to pull other people down. I love the story Barry Smith uh, told many years ago. And uh, we, we love Barry Smith in Africa. He's one of your, your exports. And uh, he, he was just amazing. And he tells of an incident that a, a man came late to the meeting. And there was a woman on stage singing her heart out. And uh, the late comer said to the usher at the door, said, Oh, he said, that, 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 that woman's terrible. She can't sing for her life. I wonder who she is. And the usher said, Actually, she's my wife. <laughs> The guy was incredibly embarrassed. He said, oh, look, no, no, sorry, sorry, no, I didn't mean to say that. I mean, what an awful song. It's absolutely disgusting. It has no idea. I wonder who wrote it. He said, actually, I did. <laughs> you know, when we criticize people, we are in, on a hiding to nowhere. We shouldn't be doing it. Uh, try encouraging one another instead. When we judge people, we're setting ourselves up for a fall. Did you know even the great men in the Bible needed encouragement? Look at the list. Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament, called a weeping prophet of Israel. And so and he was a really anointed man, wrote a huge book in the Bible of prophecy. In a moment of bitterness, do you know that Jeremiah cursed the day of his birth? He cursed the day that he was born. He had got so depressed, things had become so difficult. On another occasion, uh, he, he was really uh, so down, so discouraged, that he vowed never to preach again. This is Jeremiah the prophet. Moses asked God to kill him because he was so... He said, God, if you're going to treat me like this, if this is what's going to be like, I've had enough. He was suicidal. He was so depressed. And he asked God to kill him. John the Baptist, whom Jesus said, there's no one born of woman that's greater, needed encouragement because while he was in prison, he doubted that whether Jesus was the Messiah. Paul the Apostle wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It says this, 
we were under such great pressure. We despaired even of life. How many can hear that the apostle is hurting because of the pressure and the pain that he was under? And he didn't quit. I'm sure he was so, uh, so wanting to quit, so wanting to give up. He was despairing of life. God, I can't go on. These are the great men of the scriptures. And they all needed encouragement. We all need to be encouraged. You know, especially the men of God need to be encouraged. You know, because we share in the burden of others. And from time to time, ministers carry these incredible loads, bearing the problems, difficulties, and failures of, of, of other people. They often hear about everything negative and all that's going wrong in their life, their problems. You know, they can become frustrated, discouraged, despondent, even overwhelmed. That's why the Word of God says this. God spoke to the church in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6. said, Let him who receives instruction in the Word of God, I'm reading from the Amplified, let him who receives instruction in the Word of God share all good things with the teacher contributing to his support. I think that they, they, he carries this emotional baggage. And so when we come and share the good things, uh, it, it helps the, 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 the people uh, carry. That's why testimonies are so important. Can you say amen? Yes. Testimonies are important. Why? Because they encourage us. They build our faith. They motivate. I, I love what Stephen Maureen shared a couple of weeks ago, the testimony of God's faithfulness. And in, in a couple of weeks, Corinne and Otmar are going to be sharing an amazing testimony. So uh, get ready for that. But it encourages us. It builds us up and it motivates us. How many you know when you hear a, a, a great testimony of what God has done, it does something for your own personal yes, walk with God? Yeah. Just look at this particular story we find in Scripture about encouragement. Paul and Barnabas set out on their first missionary tour. And as they get to Salima, there was a... a a young man there by the name of John Mark who decided that he wanted to join Paul and Barnabas in their first missionary trip. And he hadn't been with the group very long. They just agreed to accept him and, and take him along as a, as a missionary. And, and they get to Perga and John Mark looks into the, to the uh, continent, uh, subcontinent of, of Asia and he, he realizes that there's a real difficult time. There's paganism, there's physical dangers, there's hardships, there's deprivations. They were all there. And when he considered this, he had a revelation. Hey, God doesn't want me to be a missionary. <laughs> this is not my calling. This is too hard. I'm out of here. And so he abandons Paul and Silas in the middle of their missionary trip, and he goes back to Jerusalem, where his mom was. But you know, later on, uh, they, they were embarking on the second missionary tour, and, and Paul and, and Barnabas uh, were going on this trip, and Barnabas wanted to take uh, John Mark along. And uh, Paul was not having a bar with you know. He was saying, not on your life, you know. It's a, uh, uh, that guy can't have it, you know. He, he's a quitter. He, he, he just can't handle the ministry. You know? and, and Paul would not be persuaded. And as a result, uh, and, and Barnabas is saying, no, man, I can see the potential of this young man. Let, let's use him again. Take him again. Because he could see what, what John Mark might become. And the dispute became so heated and so <coughs> divisive that eventually they broke up and went their separate ways. Two anointed men of God couldn't agree. Oh, hello. <laughs> Isn't that encouraging? 
but charge Joshua. It's like God's called and charge Joshua. Listen to the next words. And encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. God calls, anoints Joshua to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. And he says, encourage him. Encourage him. Because encouragement will help you to overcome. Encouragement will help you to produce more and better. Can you say amen? amen. And so God says, encourage Joshua and, uh, and, uh, uh, because, and strengthen him. That word, uh, encourage, is the Hebrew word, kazak. Kazak. And uh, it actually means, it carries the idea of making strong. Uh, to fill with courage. Or to fortify and strengthen so God is saying, do all in your power, chazak, to, to strengthen and fortify and encourage your leaders. And get behind Joshua and make sure that you strengthen him. And as a result, how many you know, he led the people of God into the promised land. It was an excellent thing. So anybody can criticize, but our job open as believers is to encourage one another. Amen. Oh, you can encourage me better than that. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You see, tell him, be bold, be strong. For the Lord thy God is with thee. You know, that's putting, that's putting, fortifying them. It's strengthening. It's encouraging. And we all need it, no matter who you are, pastor or uh, person in the in the pews. We all need to be encouraging one another. And if we do, you know, uh, we, there's no telling what we might be, uh, happen. We are all called and anointed for the service of God. Can you say amen? Amen. amen? Just like Joshua, you and I are commissioned in the New Testament to be witnesses and to go and preach the gospel wherever we go. So each and every one of us is called and anointed by God. So we need to encourage, strengthen one another. Just as Israel supported Joshua, so we must support and encourage each other. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to give you some homework. Before you leave here, I want you to encourage people. Encourage them. Go up to somebody and tell something encouraging about them. Will you do that for me? Because that's our job. We're there to encourage one another. You know why? Because we have no idea of the battle that some folks are raging, the burdens that they're carrying, the hardships they're enduring. They may have a smile on their face, but their heart be breaking deep inside them. Some folks are so close to breaking point. They need chazak. They need to be encouraged. They need to be strengthened. They need to be lifted up. And they need to be given hope. Isn't this what Jesus does for us? So we need to do it for others because we do all things for steps. And if we start to motivate and inspire people, there's no telling what we might accomplish. There's no telling what we might accomplish. You see, as Christians, we are directed to encourage one another, to build one another up. First Thessalonians 5 11. It says to encourage. That word encourage means encourage. Put courage in, is what it really means. Someone has to impart courage to them so that they can be sustained through difficult situations, to cheer them on and to boost their morale, to strengthen them internally so that they will achieve their goal. Isn't that wonderful that we can do that? 
Think of, think of you when the war blacks are on the five-yard line. The encouragement that the fans provide. The whole stadium erupts. There's a thunderous noise. And you know what? When that happens, the All Blacks find another gear and they push over to victory. And that's the, that's the power of encouragement. We can find another gear when we are encouraged by one another. We can all produce more. Athletes understand the power of coaches and fans cheering them on. William Ward, a great minister from days gone by, said, Flatter me, I may not believe you. Criticize me, I may not like you. Ignore me, I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. That's the power of encouragement. You see, the spiritual man is a man of prayer. The spiritual man is somebody who encourages and gives hope and builds other people up. That's our job as Christians. The last point I look at this morning is that the spiritual man is a man of humility. There was a bit of rivalry going on amongst the disciples. And, uh, you know, they, they wanted to know who was going to be the greatest, you know. They were wondering, who's the greatest in, in the kingdom? Was it Moses? Was it Abraham? David? You know, was it the prophets? Uh, you know, where do we fit into this? This is the discussion that's going. After all, we're walking with the greatest of all times. We're walking with Jesus, the Messiah. So what's our place in all this? Where do we fit in all this? And Jesus overhears this conversation. And he gives them an incredibly powerful answer. He says in Matthew 18 and verse 4, this is the answer to who's going to be the greatest of the kingdom. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. If you understand Jewish culture, the, the, the children were allowed, the children were precious, but they had no status in society. So what Jesus is saying is unless you give up your status, unless you stop thinking about yourself as somebody important and become like this little child, if you do that, then you will become the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ said that. That is powerful. That is so powerful. Proverbs 18 and verse 12. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud. But humility comes before honor. We all love to be honored. It's something inside each human being that loves honor. But, but the scriptures say, if you want that, learn to be humble. Learn to, learn to be the servant. And if you do that, then God's humility, uh, 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 your humility will be rewarded and you'll be exalted. You know, humility is a dynamic key to spiritual development. Can you say amen? Okay. Can you? Am I preaching heresy? I just wanted to check, you know. So it's a very powerful key to spiritual growth. Okay, And we see this principle actually demonstrated in the life of Jesus. You know, you know remember that, that, that verse we so uh, love quoting, Therefore God has exalted Jesus, given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess to the glory of the Father. We love that verse, and it's glorious. But did you notice, it starts with the word, therefore. So we need to find out what the therefore is there for. Two different feelings, but okay, okay. 
But we need to understand. So we need to go back to verse 5. And then we'll understand this. Verse 5 says this. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Your attitude, my attitude, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, this is Jesus, God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto. The Son of God says, hey, I don't need to hold on to this. I can humble myself. I can be a servant. And he goes on to say in verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even the death of the cross. Therefore, therefore, because of Jesus' humility, therefore God exalted him. The key to Christ's exaltation was his humility, was the fact that he was willing to lay everything aside to become the servant of mankind. And because of that, so blessed the Father that he exalted him and gave him a name above every name. How many see that if we will do that for ourselves, that we are on the pathway to God's blessing? Can you say amen? amen? You know, Jesus is God, God Almighty, washed the feet of Judas, who was about to betray him in a couple of hours. Can you think about that? Jesus, the Son of God, God Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, comes down, washes the feet of the man who's going to betray him and hand him over to be crucified and destroyed. And, and Jesus does it with such dignity and honor and humility that they didn't have the faintest idea that Jesus was going to do that. Dr. Harry Ironsides was a, a really great preacher in years gone by, one of the Prince of Preachers. And God had really honored him and blessed him. And he actually came to a point in, in his Christian walk where the blessing and the anointing of God was really upon him that he actually felt this personal lack of humility in his life. He'd done so much, but he felt this personal inward feeling that, that, that he was losing his humility. And so a friend recommended that he march around the streets of Chicago with a sandwich board now, shouting out the scriptures on humility. <laughs> uh, if anybody got a problem with pride, I'll, I'll sign the same kind of uh, result to you. So, he thought about that. Well, that's pretty humbling. I'll do that. So, he puts the sandwich board out and he goes and he's preaching to the, the crowds of Chicago on the streets. He's walking around talking about humility. And when finally he gets back to his office, he takes off the sandwich board and he puts it down. And he says, I bet there's not another man in the whole city that will do that. <laughs> How many think he needs a few more laps on the block of his sandwich board? You see, pride is a really difficult thing, especially if you're trying to walk in humility. I always knew criminals were dumb. And, uh, but this girl that I'm going to tell you about, true story, actually takes the cake. Uh, this, this happened in Nebraska in November 2012. And uh, it really was about a, a young girl who robbed the Cornerstone Bank of $6,000. 
The bank employees were able to give the police a fairly good description of the teenage girl and the car that she drove. But it turned out that investigators didn't need that description because this young girl actually posted a video on YouTube <laughs> entitled The Chick That Robbed the Bank. <laughs> and she goes on to say, I stole a car and I robbed the bank. The chick bank robber was what she actually said. She posted it. She actually found out the stolen cash for the camera. She said, I, I stole this. Fanning out the cash for the camera, 19-year-old Hannah Sabato held up the sign, I just stole a car and robbed the bank. Hannah's criminal career, brief though it was, ended that week after police arrest to do. <laughs> How dumb can you still be a breed to have committed crime and then go and advertise it on YouTube? I don't know. What does the Bible say about this? Proverbs 29, 23. A man, or a woman, I guess, is applicable too. A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. James actually says to us, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Leave it to God in God's timing. So, I close with this. The spiritual man is a man of prayer. The spiritual man is an encourager. And the spiritual man is humble in heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to develop these characteristics in you. We need to work with Him to become like these characteristics. Can you say Amen? amen. Let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Father God, we are so grateful to You for all that You've done in our life. Lord, how You've changed us, how You continue to change us and how we need to be changed for. Lord, help us to become the spiritual man or woman that you desire us to be, that we might reflect your glory and your honor, that we might draw people unto ourselves, that we might point them to Jesus. Lord, help us to be more prayerful. Lord, help our prayer life to be, Lord, not superficial anymore, but help it to be profound, deep, and powerful. Lord, help us uh, to encourage one another. Lift people up. Lord, help us to be uh, humble of heart and mind and spirit. Help us to be like you, knowing that if we do that, you will exalt us in due time. So, Lord, I pray your blessing upon each and every person gathered here this morning. Thank you for them. Thank you, Lord, for uh, th th this time together. And we just bless you for that, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Let me just give you the announcements.